Now, if that doesn't fire you up, I, I don't know what will. 33 baptisms, church, that's why we do what we do. And as encouraging it as it is to see 33 people take that next step and say, yeah, I want to make a public proclamation that I'm a follower of this Jesus Christ. I just want you to hear our hearts, the heart of your leadership, my heart. It is about the one. It is about that next person who comes through these doors who we have the opportunity to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. We are expecting God to do amazing, great, even greater things in this place. We believe God is going to do great things in our children's ministry, and our youth ministry, and right here in these seats. We believe people are going to cross over from death to life in these seats. We believe people are going to find hope in these seats. We believe marriages are going to be healed right here in these seats. We are expecting God to do great things in this place, church. And so what I want to humbly ask, and if you're newer to Edinburgh Church, I want to humbly ask that you would partner with us, that you would become partners in living out this mission because we believe God wants to do even greater things through this ministry. And so you can do that by, by serving you can do that by giving, because it does take financial support to do this ministry uh, that God has called us here to do. And you can also do that by inviting, because we live in a hurting culture, and we all know people who need some good news in their life, and we have the best news that there is. So, Edinburgh, I just want to say thank you. Let's keep on doing what God has called us to do in this place. Um, we are in a series uh, called The Brand New You. And if you are a guest with us this morning, I want to welcome you. We're so glad uh, that you are here. And way to go, everyone, just making it to church. Be a part of this series. I mean, this series uh, has been even stretching me. has been really encouraging uh, to me. But we, we just found ourselves um, entering into Romans 8 last week. And I said last week that Romans 8 uh, is considered by many, including myself, to be the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Um, and, and really, um, when the Apostle Paul sat down to write Romans 8, and, and, and keep in mind, it was God who inspired the Apostle Paul to, to sit down and write Romans 8. So this is really God's word to us, written through the Apostle Paul. God and the Apostle Paul are trying to tell us two things through this chapter. First, they want us to have joy. God wants you to have more joy. He, he, he is for your joy. Anybody just could use a little more joy in their life? I bet many of us could. And, and that's one of the reasons God gives us Romans chapter 8. But here's the thing about joy. In order to have joy, you've got to have hope. And in order to have hope, you, you've got to be believing the promises God gives us in his word. So think of it this way. I dated my wife, I think it was roughly about two years before I got the courage to pop the question. And uh, uh, so I, I planned this romantic evening uh, as I got ready to uh, ask her to marry me. And so very romantically, I, I took her to see the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'm not, not proud about that. Um, in hindsight, I might, I might go a different route. But um, I thought I could play off that idea of the ring I didn't realize the ring was a bad thing, okay? So I kind of had to kind of change some things up. I, I also, I had this plan. I was going to take her into these woods because I knew it was kind of a woodsy movie. So I was going to take her into these woods 
uh, what I didn't realize is the movie was going to get out when it was pitch black, and so we went into these dark woods. Also might, you know, in hindsight, have gone a different route, but uh, we can't even see each other, but we're walking through these woods, and I knew there was this bridge over, over this water, and um, I think I said something cheesy. I don't remember what it was, but I said something like, I'll be your Frodo or something like that. <laughs> and uh, just, so just imagine this with me. I get down on my knee. Now, imagine if this would have happened. I, I say, Danielle, will you marry me? And she says, no. You're not the one for, for me. Now, just imagine that for a second. I'm like, well, well, what are my chances here? Are we talking like one out of ten? She's like, no, more like one out of a million. And I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance, right? Um, um, no, but imagine she just says, like, no, you're, you're not the person for me. I would probably go home, and that would be pretty disappointing. I'd, I'd be pretty, pretty, pretty heartbroken. But I'm telling you, that's what many people do with the Word of God. I mean, they hear these promises that, that God gives us freely through Jesus Christ, and many of them just say, that can't be for me, not because of my past, not what I've done, not what I'm struggling with. Well, if you believe that, you're not going to have much joy. But that's not what most Christians probably do. They're probably just not like it's a complete no. Um, now imagine I get down on my knee and I say, Danielle, will you marry me? And she says, maybe. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be like, well, do I start planning a wedding? Do I, do I not? I, I don't know. Maybe there's a little hope here. Maybe, maybe there's not. But I'm still not going to have much joy. If it's just a maybe. And I think that's what a lot of Christians do. I think a lot of people who come to church, it's just kind of like God's promises are a maybe to us. But, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us, no, no, all of God's promises are a yes in Jesus Christ. They're, they're yours. And if you're going to have joy in your life, you're going to have to stand on these promises. You're going to have to build your life on these promises. You're going to have to trust and believe in these great and amazing promises like we're going to See today in Romans 8. But the second reason the Apostle Paul writes chapter 8 is also because he wants to encourage us in suffering. The, the Bible does not sugarcoat struggles and hardship and suffering in this world. We live in a fallen and broken world, and our suffering can be very, very, very real. In fact, uh, when Paul writes this to the church of Rome, you know, they're experiencing persecution. They're, they're being alienated for their faith, um, losing jobs and, and things like that just because they're, they're Christians. We know the apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering and, and hardship. In fact, he gives us this list in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to have to read this quickly, but I mean, just hear this. Hear, hear what the apostle Paul dealt with in his ministry he says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. Prison. I've been flogged. That was a kind of whipping where at the end of the whip, they would attach like pieces of bone or, or something else, rock, so it would tear your flesh. He's saying, I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I have labored and I have toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. He says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the church's 
Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He's saying, here Paul's saying, even I have my own temptations and sin struggles and issues. So, so I want you to hear this. Apostle Paul who's writing these things this morning, he is no stranger to pain, hardship, and suffering. But he's going to give us Romans 8 because he wants us to know the end of our story. He wants to encourage us in our suffering by telling us how is it going to end. Okay. So my kids, for the first time, we sat down and we watched Aladdin. This was probably about three years ago now for the first time. Not the movie version. This was the cartoon. I had already seen Aladdin, but I kind of played along like I had never seen the movie. And so we sat there, and uh, my kids started to get kind of sad when they thought the genie was not going to escape at the end. Like, like right, they, they started to think, like, the genie was supposed to be freed. Aladdin promised he was going to be freed. And now the, the Aladdin's saying he's not going to use his wish on the genie. He's going to use all his wishes on himself. But I said, you know what? I have a feeling the genie is going to be freed. And they're like, Dad, how do you know that? And this and that. And then the end of the movie came, and you know what happened? And this, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler alert. <laughs> the genie was freed. And my son looked at me and he said, Dad, you are a movie genius. <laughs> and I said, Son, yes, I am. I, I, I am a movie genius. Now, most of us don't like spoilers when it comes to, like, movies and books and things like that. Like, we don't like the spoiler when it comes to other people's story. But I do believe we would like a spoiler to our own story. Because when you are in the middle and you don't know how it plays out, you want to know, how is this going to end? And some of you, you are in that chapter that is hard right now. I don't know what that is, but you are in a hard chapter, and you need to know how the story is going to end, because if you don't, you are going to be tempted to question the goodness of God in your life, and Paul doesn't want us to question the goodness of God. He wants us to know how it all plays out and how it ends, which brings us to the verse we're going to be looking at today, and I just want to focus on this one verse. It's Romans 8, 28. My hope is that this would become a fighter verse for all of us, but this is what it says. It says, and we know that God works together all things for good to those who love God, to those called according to to his purpose. And the last thing I want to do is trivialize this verse this morning. This is one of those verses we love to slap on a coffee mug. But this is one of those verses when you are in your chapter of pain that you can stand on, you can trust in, and a verse that can give us all hope. When I look at this verse, I see basically five things that the Apostle Paul wants us to know. And so I just want to work through these five things. Here's the first one. Concerning God's goodness, we can know that God's goodness is certain. God, God's goodness is certain, okay? He says, and we know that God works together all things for good. It, it's a certainty. Now, there's a lot of things in life that we don't know. Uh, we don't always know what God's will is in a given situation. Do I take this job? Do I take that job? Sometimes we don't even know how to pray in, in a given situation, right? Right? 
You don't even have the words. In fact, it's kind of interesting in context of this suffering. Just a couple of verses earlier, Paul says this. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Sometimes all you can do is just, oh, just groan. It's just groan. When I hear about people who are going through hard times, people who are receiving, you know, diagnoses and, and, and people, you know, going through divorces and their spouses leaving them or, or the loss of a loved one. So I'm, all I can do, I just groan. I don't even know what to pray. I, all I can do, I just groan. Uh, I had a grandfather. He, he would pray, and I would just hear him groaning, and he would pray, and, and sometimes I would just hear him groaning for me because I was a wayward grandchild, prodigal grandson, and he would pray for me. Even after I stole his car, my grandfather could be caught groaning for his dreams, that I would come to know Jesus. And I believe I am now the fruit of his prayer and other people's prayer, of just that groaning. Not even know what to pray, but just, Lord, bring them to, your, to yourself. And by the way, if you are a parent or a, a grandparent with kids or grandkids who aren't walking with Jesus, you don't even know what to pray. You just let the Spirit work in you and just groan for them. You desire for them to know Jesus. That's the Spirit working We don't even always know what to pray, but here's what we do know. We do know that God is going to work all things together for good. Okay, that's what Paul's telling us. That is what we can know. Um, The way way Jesus described this, he he said the storms of life are going to come. He, He didn't say it's a matter of if they come, it's a matter of when they come. But he said, if you trust in my promises, if you will trust in these promises like this, and you will build your life trusting and stake your life on these promises, the storms of life are going to come. It is going to be painful. The promise is not that you're going to be free from pain in this world. The promise is that when it comes and all is said and done, you are still going to be standing. That, that's the promise. And that you will be victorious over the struggles and the challenges and the problems of this world. And this we can know it's, it's a certainty because God has said it. The second thing I see in this passage, though, is that God's goodness is complete. He, he said we, we know that God works together. Did you catch that? All things, not just some things, not most things in your life. This is incredible. He works out all things. It's all, it's all things. Your, your, your grief, your pain, every experience you have on earth, he is going to work it out for your, for your good. And uh, this is something the Bible refers to as the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is in control of all all things. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, that God causes evil, um, but, but, but God has given us freedom. Uh, he's given us free will um, he, he, because he wants our love for him to have meaning and to be meaningful. If we were just programmed robots, it wouldn't have meaning. We would just love him, but, but it wouldn't be our choice. He, he gives us this choice, and not everyone chooses, not every spiritual being chooses, uh, and talking about Satan here, chooses to love God. And so as a result, there is evil 
in this world, but not for one second does God stop being sovereign and control over it. This idea of sovereignty, it, it goes back to kings who would rule over a kingdom and they could issue a decree and whatever they decreed, it would be done whenever and wherever they willed. And you can see why this is used of God. It's, it's used of God to say, God is he's in control and what he wills will be done. Because what some Christians do is they think God and Satan are equals. But that's not the case. You know, continuously through the scriptures, God is outwitting and outplaying. I think I'm quoting Survivor here, but he is, he is outmaneuvering Satan at every twist and, and turn. And he does that in the Bible, and he'll do that in your life, too. But, of course, the greatest example of this is Jesus. Satan enters into Judas and has Judas put Jesus up on the cross. I've gotten rid of this, this Jesus. But little does he know, that's what God was using, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who was now dying for the sins of the world to bring salvation to all who would believe. Satan thought he was doing his best. Satan thought he had won the day, but little did he know God was outwitting him. Because he is all wise, and he is all powerful, and he is all good. And while Satan is playing checkers, our God is playing chess. Because our God is a, is a sovereign God. Not, nothing takes it. Even if, if, if beings don't realize that, we know that God is in control. I love this verse from Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. It says, remember, this is God talking, remember the things I have done in the past. Like if you just thought about your past for just meditated on that a little bit, some of the things God has done in your life, you'd be reminded of his sovereignty. He says, For I alone am God, I am God, and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. See, friends, if you believed this this morning, if you believed that God was in control, it might just bring you a little rest just a little more peace from your, your, your anxieties and your worries, trusting that he is in control. I love what Oswald Sanders says. He says, the circumstances of the Christian's life, they are ordained by God. There is no such thing as chance. Love refuses to believe that God is not interested in every detail of life. Everything is permitted and designed by him for his wise purposes. He will not cease his supervision for one moment. And to that I say, amen. And friends, if you would trust that, if you would believe that he is in control and he is working it out, all things for your good, you might just have a little more peace and rest this morning. Fourth thing I see in this, in this text is that God's goodness is mysterious. It's mysterious. Um, it says, and we know that God works together all things for good. He's working all things together. It's a mystery. It doesn't say for we see God's goodness in all things. Not everything in our life is good. Um, but, but, but what he's saying here is that God is taking it and he's working it all together, but that's a mystery. We, we don't always see it. In the, in the here and, and now. Uh, 
Because there's going to be times in your life where you are going to just, God, I cannot see how you could bring anything good to this. Anybody ever said that? I know I have many times. I just do not see how you could bring anything good out of this. But that's the, that's the promise. Maybe the best illustration of this is uh, baking. I don't do a lot of baking. I do mostly the eating. Um, but I do know a few things about baking. Like you take these raw ingredients and you put them together and you can make something incredible. You can take the raw ingredients of things like flour, but let me ask, does flour taste good in and of itself? No. Uh, I thought maybe at one point vanilla extract, because it's vanilla, would taste good. Does vanilla extract taste good? No, it's bitter. Uh, Salt in and of itself isn't good. But it's amazing because you take these things, you take them, and, and you put them in this batter, and you can create a delicious cake using these raw ingredients. And see, that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. What God is going to do is he's going to take all things, he's going to take even the bad things, he's going to put them in the batter, and he's going to do something better. He's going to take the bad, he's going to put it in the batter, and he's going to do something better. <laughs> that's, the, that's the promise here. But you've got to believe that. got to believe it. So like I, I was doing I, some study and I, I found out that two of the most common things people, the painful experiences that a, that a person can have, okay, for, for a moment, and I'm not going to get into all this, but two of the most painful experiences a, a person can have is a woman going into labor, labor and giving birth Or a man passing a kidney stone. Now, I'm not going to get into all this, okay? <laughs> but when a woman goes into labor, I mean, it's, it can be extremely painful, yet when it's all said and done, she delivers a baby. And is handed a baby. When a man goes through that pain, well... He's delivered a stone. <laughs> and, and, and so a woman, she's handed this baby, and in that moment, it brings her such joy, she even forgets about the pain. She even says, it was all worth it. It was, it was worth the pain because here's my child. But I'll tell you, I've never heard a man get handed a stone and say, it was worth it. And my question for you is, what are you expecting in your life? What are you expecting from God? Are you expecting a stone or are you expecting the joy of a child? Are are you expecting the stone of condemnation or are you expecting in Christ the child of salvation and eternal life? Are you expecting the stone of death or whatever you think happens after we die? Or in Christ, are you expecting the child of eternal life with God? Are you expecting the stone of defeat for your life? Or are you expecting the child of victory? What are you expecting? Comes down to what we believe. Just a few verses before Romans um, 8.28 
uh, Paul says this. He says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Right up to the present time, there it is. It's like all creation is groaning. There it is again, groaning. And he uses this idea of the uh, mother giving birth to a child. But he doesn't just say it's, it's all creation. He says, um, I'm going to use my notes here. He says, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit, and with us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. So there's this desire in us. We recognize he's not trying to sugarcoat or cover over our pain. And he says, we were given this hope when we were saved. He says, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. If you already have something, why would you need to hope for it? We don't have it yet. We're not there yet. Talking about the end, talking about glory here. But he says, if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So you've got to be patient. Whatever that chapter is in you, you've got to be patient, but you also have to be confident it's coming. Okay? And so it is, it's mysterious. But the, the fourth thing I want us to see that Paul says here is, is God's goodness is also purposeful um, because he tells us that God is working together all things for good. But the question is, what is this good? What, what is it that's, that's good? Because if you try to make it, friends, into something like health, wealth, and prosperity, I'm just here, here to tell you, you're going to be disappointed And so it comes down to what do we mean by good? God is working it all out for our good. Let me give you three main things that God is doing in our life for good. And you can use these as some takeaways from this message this morning. Here's the first thing. He's he's using pain in our lives and, and, and the suffering we experience in this world first to draw us closer to Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He wants to draw you and me closer to Jesus. Again, I know some of you are in a tough chapter this morning. That chapter might say divorce. That that, that chapter might say illness. But I could fill up this stage, friends, with people who have had the worst day of their life, the worst chapter of their life become the greatest chapter of their life. I could fill this stage with people who have experienced things like the divorce and would say that was the worst chapter of my life when my spouse told me, but it became the greatest chapter in my life because that's what God used to lead me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a friend in college who he got arrested and spent two years in prison because he uh, uh, robbed a convenience store when he was younger. 
and the, the day that he was pronounced guilty and was going to be going to prison, he would tell you it was the worst day of his life, but it also became the greatest day of his life because it was in that moment that he surrendered his life to Jesus when someone shared the good news with him just before he went in to prison, changed the trajectory of his life. There's so many people I could put up on this stage who would say the, the worst chapter become, became the greatest chapter because it drew him to Jesus. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, For God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. I came across this story by Nancy Kennedy. This was written in Christianity Today. And I want you to listen to her story. The, 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 the title is called The Not-So-Terrible, Horrible, No-Good, Very Bad Year. She says, I'm sitting in yet another hospital waiting room. Ever since my husband, Barry, first underwent open heart and quadruple bypass surgery 15 months ago, I have been in more waiting rooms than I can count. On this day, I'm waiting for Barry to come out of the operating room again. With all Barry's surgeries and procedures, we've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, one of the worst years in our 32 years together. Yet ironically, it's also turned out to be the best. She said, I came to Christ three years after Barry and I married, and for almost 30 years, I've prayed every day for my husband's relationship with Jesus. Then on the day before Barry's open heart surgery, he told me he wanted to talk to me. He told me that if he died, I would see him again because he asked Jesus to be his savior. And he prayed with me and he prayed with a friend and he even prayed with the surgeon and Barry hasn't stopped praying and now he prays with me every day. What I had asked God for all these years to heal the spiritual rift in my marriage and bring my husband close to him, God has done that. God performed a different kind of heart surgery. Barry and I talk often this year, this past year, how it's been awful and awfully good. We wouldn't wish this kind of year on anyone, and we wouldn't want to go through it again, but we're glad it happened. We thank God on the good days and the bad because God has been at work. We have had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year, and I praise God for it. Friends, when we realize that this is God's redeeming power, that God can take all things, he can take all things and he can redeem them for a greater end. And he can use that in our lives to draw us closer to Jesus. Second way that God uses the trials and suffering of this world is to make us more like Jesus. He wants to shape our character. You've heard me say it many times over the years, God is more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace that he intends to come in and live himself. 
Friends, this is what God, God, God has a bigger, big, bigger picture for your life than you have. And he will, he will blow up your blueprints to shape you into the person that looks like his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to make us a little more like Jesus. The third takeaway from this is that he wants to take us to be with Jesus. He, he wants to, to, to take us to spend our eternity uh, with Jesus. And Corey Ten Boom uh, is a Holocaust survivor. She was put in a concentration camp. She lost um, all of her family there. They had been hiding Jews and got caught. And uh, so you can imagine her pain and her suffering coming out of that. Yet Corey Ten Boom uh, realized and recognized that while we can't always make sense of why things happen here on earth, that one day we would understand when we were in heaven. We would see what God was using it all for. And so she said this. She said, we see life unfold and we view it like the backside of a tapestry. For those of you who have ever sewn or knitted or anything like that, she's like, it's like the backside of that tapestry. She said, from our perspective in the here and now, it looks like nothing more than a jumble of thread, tangled and frayed, knotted, seemingly random. We don't understand it, but things are not as they seem. It's only when you turn the tapestry over that you see the art and the rich colors and the textures and the patterns, and you find that it's a thing of beauty. What she's saying is that we're not going to always understand why things happen here and now, but one day the promise is when we step into eternity, that tapestry is going to be turned over and you are going to see that God was doing something wonderful in and through your life. And it's going to be a thing of beauty that the Bible refers to as glory. And that's going to be yours. We don't see it now, but we know. We know that's what's coming. Well, friends, there's one last thing I want us to see in Romans 8, 28, and that I want to end with, and that's that God's goodness is conditional. Look at the verse one more time. And we know that God works together all things for good to those who love God. To those called according to his purpose. Friends, this is referring simply to believers. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and have received his forgiveness. Not based on their good works, but based on what Christ has done with, for us through his, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. And then, did you catch that? To those who have been called according to his purpose... Because, see, I believe some of you, you might even be here this morning, and you don't even know why you're here. <laughs> like, how did I end up at church this morning? Or maybe you've been coming for, for a short time. Like, how did I even end up here? Maybe a friend invited you and said, hey, let's go get breakfast. And then next thing you know, you're walking into church, and they hand you a donut from the coffee shop. I don't, I don't know how you ended up here. But what I do know is that it's God calling you to himself. That that's God at work in your life. And he wants you to respond by loving him because he loves you. He wants you to receive what he's done for you. And here's my point. Don't let your pain go to waste. Don't, don't let it go to waste. This promise isn't for everyone. 
It's for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let your pain be in vain. Let God use it in your life to draw you closer to him, to shape you to be more like Jesus, so that one day he will take us to spend eternity with Jesus. I'm going to ask us to stand, and um, I want to close this in prayer. And while your heads are bowed, you know, I, I know... <laughs> A passage like this and the depths of what this is talking about, you know, we're not going to answer all these questions in a 30-minute sermon, but my hope for all of us is that you would trust it, you would believe it, and that you would find rest in remembering that God is in control and that he is sovereign and at the end of your story, it is a good one. No matter what chapter you're in this morning, God says so. And so as a church, let's, let's believe that. And so, Heavenly Father, I just I come before you in a, in a way this morning kind of advocating for us, inter- interceding for us, because I know some of us are going through stuff. Th- verses like this can be difficult. They can be hard. Some of us, maybe we don't even want to hear verses like this. But, God, this is a promise that you've given us, and I pray that you could use it in our lives in such a way that maybe we just loosen our hands just a little bit on the things of this world to get a little more excited about the eternity that's coming. The eternity that you've prepared for us and that you've promised us. Where we're going to be with you and we're going to see Jesus, our Savior, face to face. And we're going to live forever and ever with our brothers and sisters. May we just get a little more excited about that this morning, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that hope would be in us. And I pray that you would give us the faith we need to hold on and stand on and build our life on promises like this. And so, God, just just renew that faith in us. Remind us of this promise. And help us to trust you for it. That our story will end well. And, Lord, I know there's others here. They need to make that decision this morning for the first time so that their pain doesn't go to waste. And if that's you out there, all you got to do is just receive what Jesus has already done for you. You just receive it. You, You just say, Jesus, I want what you've done for me. I believe you died on the cross so my sin could be paid. I believe you offer me forgiveness. I believe you're alive. You, you were raised. And now, God, take it all in my life and work all of it together for my good, too. Church, believe it. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, there's going to be people up front who would love to to pray with you. Seriously, take us up on that. Let someone pray for you this morning. Otherwise, go in peace, and we will see you next week.